Welcome to the Seth Joyner Show, and boy, do I have a show for you today. No dialogue, no monologue. We're just going to get straight to it. First off, we're going to bring in Mr. Ron Jaworski, my teammate from 1986. Coming up next, Mr. Randall Cunningham, also my teammate from 1986. <laughs> Coming up next, Super 5. Mr. Donovan McNabb, first round pick, second overall pick. What year was that? I believe it is 1999. Yeah, and then Mr. Mr. Number One overall, he had the shortest stint of all the guys there, Mr. Michael Vick, Super 7. Hey, listen, man, I know Philly is thrilled to death to have you guys. And I got a rundown sheet of how this show is supposed to go. But we just gonna we just gonna let it flow naturally because I don't think this has ever been done before. That four iconic um, quarterbacks from the Philadelphia Eagles franchise, um, all on one show, talking football, past, present, and future. I'm gonna give you the floor for a couple of minutes, Jaws, and then we just gonna go by beauty or age, however you want to see it. And um, I'll just pass it off to each one of you guys, and we'll just get into it and let it flow how it flows. Hey, Seth, first of all, great to be on your show once again. And this is absolutely awesome. You know, I love these guys, man. Randall's little puppy when he came in the, in the Eagles. I had, to, I had to train him. It's like, That's I'm a right. <laughs> you know, I, Donovan obviously smashed all my records. Michael Craig, all that excitement. And that's my records. On years, we've never all been together. You know, I've done shows with Randall, done shows with Donovan, done shows with Michael and Donovan, played golf with the guys different times, but never together. So what a great job of getting us together. And like I said, hey, once everyone gets something to say, just roll the ball out of the court and we'll let it go. And, you know, I, I, I had to do this, you know, as a, as a linebacker, as a defensive player, who would ever thump? that you get four quarterbacks on one show, on a defensive guy's show, no left. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm going to pass it over to my man Cash over here, and I'm going to give you a minute to say mm -hmm. what you want to say. But, man, listen, it's always good to not only be with all of you guys, but I played the longest with this guy and saw, you know, all the miracles that he did on the field. Cash, what you got? Well, I'm humbled. You know, this is, uh, Jaws said it's awesome. There's no cliche to follow that up with. I'm, I'm humbled just to be able to, you know, I got to kick it with Mike on, on the line the other day. We did uh, for the for the draft. It was pretty awesome. But to be able to be back again, you know, this is something that you don't, you can't count on this because we'll probably miss each other if we call each other on the phone or if we're in town, we'll probably somebody be flying out of town, can't golf together. But you know, Seth, it's, I'm, I'm grateful that you brought this together because with the hustle and bustle of our day and everything that we do in our different areas, it's just really cool to see Mike driving down the road. I'm sure you got a driver. Mike doesn't look like he had a steering wheel in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with Donovan, with your, with your character, you're just such a happy brother, man, and an old Jaws, man. My, my mentor. It's, it's just, it's really, man, this is like yes. really awesome. And I think through this whole pandemic, it's just a pleasure to be able to talk to one another. And Seth, we haven't talked to each other in, I don't know, what, 15, 10, 15 years. Yeah, and finally, we, you know, here we are, Christians, brothers in the Lord. And it's just so good to see where we come from. 
you know, from my days of ignorance back in the day to now just really trying to shepherd a flock of people. It's a blessing to be on this call together. No doubt about it. And, you know, like I said, when we spoke the other day, you know, we were all young and dumb at some point. <laughs> <laughs> now we're old and dumb. Absolutely. Can't remember things, everything. How about my life? It's going to be 40 next month. Happy birthday. Uh, he's, he's just a baby. He's still wet behind the ear. <laughs> oh, man. This, this next guy, so when I called him and said, hey, you know, this is what I want to do, I had to tell him, dude, save some of this for the show, man. I mean, he had me on the phone for like an hour just talking. What do you think about this? And we, I'm like, okay, Donovan, pump your brakes. <laughs> you're coming up next week. You're going to get the floor, and I know what's going to happen. It, ain't nobody on this show going to talk more than Donovan today. <laughs> what you got for <laughs> At all. <laughs> hey, see, both, all y'all need to stop, man. But, but you know what? I will say this. Uh, the honor of being a part of a fraternity in which I would say Jaws kind of got things going for us in the Philadelphia area. And we were able to carry the torch with Randall, uh, myself, and then Mike. Uh, this is an honor because now not only do people get a chance to get a perspective from each era in which we play, but it's from the quarterback position. And the knowledge of the game is so key and so vital for the success of the players today that we're passing along to the youth. So the importance of us being here goes way beyond uh, us just talking Philadelphia Eagles. This is something special that no one has ever done before. And I, I thank you, Seth, for, for doing this. But we I haven't seen Mike in a while. I haven't seen Randall. Uh, Jaws I see every pretty much every time I get back to Philly. If not him, then definitely his daughter. But uh, the relationship that we have, it doesn't matter if we've seen each other last week two weeks ago or even a couple years, it seems like every time we see each other and talk, it seems like we haven't missed a beat. Yeah, it's great. Well, that, that, that's when you know, you know that the relationships are genuine. Um, mm -hmm. When you have situations like where you don't see each other for a while and all of a sudden you come back together and it's like, boom, there you go. You know, you just pick it up like just like you had any, you know, like you saw each other yeah. just the other day. I was yeah, just about to um, introduce Mike but he dropped off. He's in the car. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think we're going to have to wait for him to come back. Uh, he probably saw some driving range along the way and pulled over to get a lesson. Yeah. There. <laughs> Mike called a timeout. Yeah, he called a timeout to get some water. There, there he is. There he is. I, I'm, I'm waiting for my director to patch him back in. I can see him. There he is. So now, the last guy, um, in my opinion, kind of took – you know, what RC was doing and what Donovan was doing to a certain extent, you know, and really took it to a completely different level. Um, and the thing I'm most proud of, you know, when I talk about this guy is how he was able to resurrect his career, you know, and put the train back on the tracks, you know, and really re resurrect, you know, his career from some, you know, from a bad situation. I had an opportunity to spend some time with him, had an opportunity to play with him. Left-hander, my gosh, can he move the golf ball. All you guys can move the golf ball. But, Michael Vick, you got the floor, my man. What you got to say to Phil? Oh, man, first of all, Seth, thanks for having me on the show, man. It's, it's an honor, especially to be with these three greats, man, guys that, um, you know, I walked in their footsteps and, and got to give a lot of credit to all three of those guys for, you know, 
validating for me to come to to the city of Philadelphia, especially Donovan. You know, I know I got a chance to uh, spend time with Randall, who I grew up grew up idolizing, and Jaws, um, <laughs> who was just there for me from day one. But but Donovan um, really put his stamp on everything and really made me comfortable when I got to the city of Philadelphia. And uh, you know, I was able to watch him in a in working a totally different um, you know, arena, a different different way of, of of going about playing the game that I'd never seen before. You know, had, a, had an amazing work ethic, and you know, I just tried to bite off as much as I could chew. You know, watching him, and uh, you know, he really told me how to be a professional. You know, in a lot of years of my career, you know, if I would have had a mentor like that earlier, you know, who knows what would have happened. But you know, just coming to that city, coming to that team, um, you know, really changed me. Changed my outlook on life. Changed me as a person, as an individual. And and I got to give you know those three guys credit for that. You know. Uh, Jaws, I was always at his golf tournaments, you know, always smiling, always having a good time, you know, always welcoming me in and, and bringing me in and, you know, just making me feel like I was at home. And Randall always giving me words of encouragement whenever I was, you know, struggling, you know, in 2011 and 12. And then Don was just always there for me, man. So it was just, uh, just a crazy Philly vibe, man. I'm glad I had a chance to experience it. I wasn't, you know, what you guys were as far as um, – you know the tenure and the time and, and just the legacies y'all left i only got a snippet of it a small fraction but i enjoyed it, it being there awesome man awesome now before we get into some more football stuff there's a lot going on you know around the eagles with the rooney rule i want to get every, each and every one of you guys you guys opinion but as i did some research on you guys um i pulled up some some interesting things that most fans don't know okay so I, I I venture to say that some of you guys don't even know these things about about the, the you know each other. So I'm gonna start with Jaws. I bet you guys didn't know, and most people in Philadelphia did not know that Jaws turned down an offer to play baseball with the St. Louis Cardinals <laughs> as a pitcher at Youngtown State. I mean, I was I was 17 years old, coming out of high school, the chance to play pro baseball. You damn right, I wanted to sign a contract. <laughs> you know what? One of the few times I listened to my mom and dad, they said you're going to college. So that worked out pretty good. Awesome. <laughs> so then, talking about RC, and you know, guys, the crazy thing about RC is um, my freshman year at the University of Texas at El Paso. We went, on, out to, we went out to UNLV and played against Randall. And I'm watching, I'm watching this little skinny dude running all over the place. Like, well, somebody please tackle him. You know, I wasn't playing at that time. But I'm looking at him tackle this guy. And then to make matters worse, they put him in as the punter. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, well, somebody go break his leg then while he's back there punting. Yeah. So, um, what you don't know about Randall, is that Randall was an all-American punter. You know, mm -hmm. some of you guys may know that. The other thing is that I found intriguing is that he retired in 1997 and then came back in 1998 and had probably his most historic, his best year with the Minnesota Vikings. Randall, right. in that year, and just, just in that year of retirement, talk to me about what transpired in that year of retirement where you walked away from the game and then came back the next year? 
it was uh, it was all humility. You know, I uh, had gone through a lot in Philly. Philly really helped me to become a man. And uh, I was trying to figure out life, having a little boy. My son, Randall II, he's, you know, he's 24 years old today. He works here at the church with us now. He's a high jumper, getting ready for the Olympics. But uh, that year really allowed me a year to figure out what I wanted in life, who I was, how I was supposed to, uh, supposed to be a dad and a husband, and just really looking at life as a businessman and getting away from football uh, that year after Philadelphia was awesome. And then to come back and then to be able to play in, in uh, Minnesota, it was it was just with Denny Green and be back with Chris Carter, who was at Philly. We were all together. It was just it was awesome to be uh in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere where it was a Christian atmosphere, but at the same time, there was a strong support system from the city, just like Philadelphia. And uh, just, you know, great ownership and had a lot of fun. But that year off, I really had to grow up and become a man. Awesome, awesome. Now, moving on to Donovan, I guess you, I bet you guys don't know that Donovan suited up for the Orangemen. He played for Jim Beheim. Uh -oh. In 90, 95 and 96, and 96 and 97. But I bet y'all don't know he only averaged one point a game in 95. <laughs> <laughs> and in 97, he only averaged 2.8 points per game. <laughs> hey, that's an improvement. That's an improvement. <laughs> what I wanted to do, Don, is I wanted to let you brag on yourself for a minute and then hit you with that, but I figured I'd just throw it out there so everybody could get a chuckle. <laughs> I will I will say this, son. I mean, it was, that was an incredible experience, and I think for, for these kids nowadays and the message to send through that is playing multiple sports helped you in each and every sport, hand-eye coordination, lateral quickness, uh, explosiveness, and then at the end of it all is creating a what we call label now as a mamba mentality these kids do not understand we just watched the last dance with with the chicago Bulls. the the mindset of michael jordan and the way you approach things individually brings teams together and i was able to learn different things in different sports that i played and playing college basketball helped me for football in certain situations, if we miss a block or we get hit with blitz, whatever it may be, by being able to react uh, and make a play still with my legs due to feeling the pressure from whatever side. So there's no need to brag about it. Um, although I was a part of the runner-up in the national championship game against Kentucky in 96, uh, but I was on the bench, so I was still there. Uh, but, but all in all, uh, it's, it was a fun experience at Syracuse. It helped me and propelled my career in Philadelphia. And uh, I, I don't regret any anything that happened in college or in any NFL. That's awesome, man. I mean, that's just stuff that I didn't know. Now, moving on to this next guy. Um, in, 2000, in 2000, Michael Vick was drafted by the Colorado Rockies. And the crazy thing is, he hadn't played baseball since he was in the eighth grade. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's because wow. I quit. Yeah, I, mean, but, I got hit with the fastball. Just, <laughs> you couldn't hit the fastball, huh? But but I'm telling you, I mean, that within itself is just, you know, phenomenal. When you think about, you know, some of the experiences, some of the things that you guys accomplished. But, I mean, I mean, when the team drafts you, you know, yeah. um, 
and, and you haven't played since you're in the eighth grade and you're in college at that time, that is like that. That's a phenomenal thing. Even though you know, no matter how late it was, that just speaks to the athleticism that you know that the Colorado Rockies saw in you and the potential. Yeah, and I was very tempted to take that twenty-five thousand dollar deal. I'm looking at my mom like, Mom, I need that money. Like, I don't have anything right now. It would come in handy. But, um, you know, sitting on on the couch one summer and, 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 you know, your name go across the screen that you've been drafted in the 30th round in baseball, you started thinking all types of things, you know, not just about the opportunity, but um, people are really paying attention to your, your talents. And, um, you know, even though I had some baseball hands, it, it wasn't for me. It wasn't in my, my foreseeable future. I was – uh, you know, a quarterback at heart. I, I was just starting to understand the game and learn the game um, as a as a freshman, and I just wanted to build on that. But uh, you know, what an experience! You know, what an opportunity! The Colorado Rockies, their you know their general manager came down, and, and you know the the batting coaches, and it, it was a cool experience. And it's something that I could tell my kids about, and something that we could still talk about. Awesome. Now let's let's spin this thing over to some NFL news and some Eagles news. Today, um, the owners voted on some adjustments and changes to the Rooney Rule. Um, you know, actually, it were they were approved today. Two of the things that um, that struck me was, you know, the head coaches. You know, each team has to allot two minorities to be interviewed for head coaching positions at least one minority for each um, OC or DC position. Um, one external interview uh, for minorities for GM and senior football you know, operations. Um, teams and league offices have to also have include at least one minority or female for senior level and club president position. Um, and um, and also, you know, the coordinator moves, you know, no longer you can't block, you know, assistant coaches from being able to move. The one thing that they shelved that was really controversial was the um, draft pick incentive portion of it. That right. meant pretty much they did not, you know, they didn't get the votes for it. Um, right. I, that's the one thing that I didn't like. Um, the other thing is they've created, you know, a minority fellowship program, um, at least um, – two full-time, uh, you know, full-time interns, uh, one to two years, that, you know, that for legends, minorities, and females, then you have, um, you know, the intent there is to broaden the the base, you know, for future opportunities. A um, couple of statistics before I throw it out to Jaws Randall, um, Donovan, and then to Michael. Um, the last 20 head coaching jobs, only three um, minorities have, have gotten those jobs. And right now, out of 32 head coaches in the NFL, only four of them are African-American. Um, I like your guys' opinion, how you, how you guys see it. Keep it raw, keep it real. What do you think about the Rooney Rule? What do you think about these changes to the Rooney Rule? Ron Jaworski. Yeah, Seth, I, I think uh, it – when you look at the Rooney rule, it's been around a while now. I, I think it's an excellent rule. And, and clearly when you look at opportunity, that's what it's about. Um, and it was mandated that, you know, African-Americans, whatever, minorities get the opportunity to interview. 
and the best person should get the job. To me, it's always that simple. I don't care who you are, what you are, uh, race, creed, color, the best person should get the job. But it at least force the hand of NFL owners to bring people in and interview people and learn more about those people. So I, I think that was that was the real positive about it. And and hopefully, you know, more minorities will get hired. As, you know, as everyone on this the show knows, what, what is the uh, population of the NFL? About 70, 75% African-American now? That, that number's yeah. real high. Why shouldn't there yeah. be more coaches? So um, right. I think the rule is good, and I think the expansion of the rule is good. Right. RC, what are your thoughts? Uh, I haven't really been up on it as much, uh, but I think when you think about the historical coaches that have been there, whether it was Art Shell, uh, Denny Green, uh, there's been so many great coaches that have done great jobs. And it should be, a, 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 a the playing level should be equal for everyone, whether it's uh, Ron down there, I think he was in North Carolina or Carolina Panthers, uh, just got another head coaching job. I think he's Hispanic, brother Rivera. Yeah, awesome brother, came out of college with him. Uh, I think that it needs to get to the point where everybody has an opportunity. And, and I, I see where they're, they're, they're adding the women in there as well. I see the women on the field being referees and things like that. It's pretty amazing that people have an equal opportunity. Michael, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm sorry. My my audio cut out. I can't hear what John said. I caught a little bit of what Randall said. but And up on it, and I just read recently that they was trying to, you know, implement – you know, where it could be more my, minority owners and my, minority um, coaches and, and general managers. And, you know, when I when I think about this, I just think about the opportunity that it creates for, you know, in the young kids' mind who aspire to be, you know, whatever they want, a general manager or, um, you know, a head coach in the National Football League. They don't have to look at it and say, okay, there's not enough of, of us, you know, from a minority standpoint. They can say, okay, I have the confidence to continue to push to make this happen for me in my, in my life. And, and that's trying to live out a dream. Even if something else comes out of it, you know, you still find some form of success, you know, in the journey traveled. And, and I just love the fact that there's just opportunity to give kids a reason to dream. And, you know, I, I remember growing up and it was not a lot of, you know, minority quarterbacks in the national football league. And, you know, until the 1999 draft when Donovan went and, Dante Culpepper and Achilles Smith, you know, I, I started to feel like I had something. There was something there for me, and I can continue to push to be, you know, a quarterback and play as a black quarterback in the National Football League, just as an example. And that just gave me so much hope. I think this gives people hope. I think it gives kids hope and, you know, you know, equal playing field, equal opportunity. You know, that's what it's all boiling down to, and uh, it's being created by people who seeing that change is always good, you know, and the change needs to be made. So I know that, you know, this last guy, I know he had a lot to say, so that's why I <laughs> say so the floor is yours, Donovan McNabb. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate all you guys' input, and, you know, Seth knows I, I, I shoot from him. I, I'm just going to be honest with you and say that I think it's, it's pretty much garbage. Uh, I think it's garbage in a sense because the Rooney Rule was set for African-Americans and minorities to have the opportunity to interview for jobs that were head coaching jobs, GMs, own, whatever it may be, and have an opportunity to possibly be an owner. The reason that we had the Rooney Rule was to give that opportunity to all those minorities. Well, we know for a fact, and as former players and also people who watch the game, 
that a lot of teams have not obeyed by that rule. So how can you create another rule for the mistakes that we made for not abiding by the first rule, meaning that the Rooney rule was set for that? So now you come up with different issues because you know it's a become a problem, and then you try to throw an incentive base on it if you hire a certain amount of minorities of receiving a third-round pick in the draft. What kind of incentives are we getting for hiring black people? Like, that, that to me is ignorance, if you ask me. I mean, because how are you looking at a sense in the organization when a guy is coming in and he's proven he can be a strong and effective coordinator in this game, he should have an opportunity to fulfill his dream of becoming a head coach. For example, Eric Bieniemy has shown he can run the offense with Patrick Mahomes out in Kansas City. He goes to Cleveland for an interview, and then before you know it, he's not asked back, let alone they they hire Kevin Stefanski to be the head coach who's a lot younger than Eric Bieniemy. So now the young wave has happened over the last four years of trying to find that young 30, 32-year-old guru instead of passing over guys who have been established in this league as position coaches, head coaches, and should have the opportunity to become the main guy. And so I look at this whole way of me now saying, you're trying to come up with a solution for the problem that we had with the first Rooney rule, but you still don't know the problem of why you're doing this. So you can't come up with a solution if you don't if you don't understand and now hash out the reason for it. So I, I just think it's unfair to a lot of these African-American coaches out here on the college ranks and in the NFL because, you know, at the end of it all, we can talk about interviews and who gets brought in. It's the good old boy system that they have to vote on it. So 31, 32 teams of the owners have to vote on if they're going to allow the African-Americans to become in and be owners, to be GMs, and to be head coaches. This isn't just one person or three people in the room talking about, yeah, we're going to hire them. They got to go through the league with this whole deal. So I, I just, I'm waiting to see the development of how this is going to progress, meaning in the next three years, because we still haven't answered the Rooney rule. And the last statement I want to say is, the only reason that this has come to fruition it's because Matt LaFleur hired an a, a African-American person to come in to be the minority position or something. But he played with him in college. So that's a buddy system of a guy bringing him in because he was his receiver in college. This isn't a guy that's been in the league and been through the process and been hired as a coach, not a minority position, but a coach. This is the whole big picture that I look at. So, I listen, I, I – I feel your pain, Donovan, and I hear where everybody else is coming from. Um, you know, my perspective on this is that, you know, the acknowledgement that there's an issue, okay, is the first step. Um, I agree, you know, that it really comes down to, you know, ownership. And I read an, I read a quote somewhere today where um, I think it's Shannon Sharp on, on social media said, it's kind of hard to tell a guy who pays, you know, a billion, $2 billion for a franchise, you know, <laughs> what, what to do as far as running his organization. But, you know, Josh right. makes a good point too. You know, when you've got 70 to 75% of the players that in the NFL that are African-American players, um, it's just astounding to me that you don't see the natural progression 
as far as, you know, coaches, you know, and people in, you know, in executive position as far as the NFL is concerned. You know, that's troubling historically to me. Um, so the question is, you know, how do you rectify it? How do you fix it? You know, but sometimes here, here, so what has to happen when, when, when these coaches we gotta, we gotta get these opportunities, like say we, have to watch it we know what this business is about, winning. And see what happens. Like, I'll be watching yeah, closely to see who's higher, who's fired, well, and, and what mm-hmm. minority minorities are stepping in to, to take over jobs. You know, I mean, like like you said, you just got you got to you got to back up what you say. And, uh, you know, who knows? Like, you know, one of us may want to become a general manager one day. You know, we know talent. We know, we know how to, you know, uh, you know, run offenses. We know how to, we know what talent's supposed to look like. You know, we want to have that that ample opportunity. And uh, you know, I just hope that this rule is put in place can uh, take some serious effect. And uh, like I like I said, I'll be watching it very closely as well as everybody else. I know. Go ahead, Charles. Seth, I was going to when when these coaches get the opportunity, the other coach. You have to win. You know, the Jim Caldwell, the Lovey Smiths, if they win, that to me, that gives more opportunity, more uh, opportunity for longevity of African-American coaches. So a Brian Flores, an Anthony, a Mike Tomlin has won. You know, he's had great success in Pittsburgh. He's around Rivera has to win. So when, when those coaches win, that adds more credence to hiring more African-American coaches. So that, to me, that's the pressure to be successful. Chris Beer has to be successful in the front office in Miami. Anthony Berry, who's uh, now in Cleveland, he, you know, he, uh, he has to be successful. So once you're successful, then more people say, hey, look at that guy, look at that guy, look at that guy. Let's give them more opportunity. So that's kind of how I see it, if, uh, perceive it. The player is playing. These coaches and front office, they have to go as well. Well, I, 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 I will say this in closing. I, I know Donovan wants to um, wants to chime back in, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to say this, and then we're going to move on because we got some legal stuff we need to talk about. Um, the thing that I like to see happen better, you know, I, in my opinion, what happens with a lot of African American head coaches. They get jobs that, in my opinion, that they are almost set up to fail at. When you take over an organization that doesn't have a franchise quarterback, when you take right. over an organization, you know, that doesn't have good players, you know, when you take over an organization as a head coach whose salary cap is pretty much in salary cap purgatory, that head coach is almost set up to lose. Because, first of yeah. all, he's only, he's only going to get two or three years to turn it around. The other thing right. is, when you're in salary cap purgatory, that means that that team has, you know, two or three times over, had made head coaching changes. Um, with Given those, those, those previous head coaches, only two or three years. So those coaches come in, and they sign guys to big deals, you know, and then the next coach comes in, he doesn't like that guy, so now that guy gets cut. Now they're carrying salary cap money that they can't use to improve the team, you know, and that happens two or three times over. Now that head coach has got two or three years to turn it around. If he doesn't turn it around, then he, you know, he's 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 out the door, you know. So my issue is that you know how do these some of these African American coaches get an opportunity to take over jobs 
that they are set up to be successful at. You know, I mean, you look at a guy like Mike Tomlin. The Pittsburgh Steelers historically don't make a lot of moves. I mean, how many how many head coaches have they had in the history of the franchise? Three, so four, Power and Mike Tomlin. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. when you when you think about it in those terms, but when you look at an organization like you know the Cleveland Browns, come on. I mean, every two years it seems like you know they flip the script. You know. So and and if you're an African American coach and you get stuck with that job, you're not gonna you're not gonna say no. You're gonna say yeah because you want that opportunity. You know, but in, in reality, you taking that job, you're almost set up to fail. You're, you're set up not to be successful because they're not going to give you three to five years to flip that organization. They're not going to give you the time that's required for you to flip that organization and make it successful. OK, that being said, I'm going to put my foot on the gas and drive forward. My producer telling me to move on. OK, so now we're in the virtual offseason. Um error, if you will. Teams can't meet with their players. Players can't be at the um, organization. And primarily what you have happening go going on is teams are virtually meeting with their players. Um, so Doug Peterson came out today. He talked, you know, during his virtual press. You know, the team is just starting their nine-week process. Um, all players have to participate. Half the time, you know, they're going to spend – with the strength and conditioning staff, you know, all workouts have to be videotaped and submitted, you know, back to so they can make sure that the players are doing what they're supposed to. And then the other half of the time, they're basically, you know, with the coaches, you know, on video. So they're going over the playbook, they're going over concepts, and then they're testing the players, you know, to see, you know, where they're moving along. Talk to me guys about, you know, how this is going to affect not only the Philadelphia Eagles, but every other team and their ability. And, and more precisely, the young players, you know, the first, second year guys that are coming in, and they're not going to have the ability, you know, to have a OTA and, and all the things that are necessary for, for players to continue to improve. Jaws. Well, Seth, obviously the coronavirus has changed the world we now live in. Um, but I've seen this coming. I think all the now on, on your show right now saw this coming with the collective bargaining agreement going back to last last couple CBAs. Players no longer commit to the offseason in the, the home city of the team they play with. All go on their own wherever they want to go. Uh, I've always been a big believer that the offseason was critical for development uh, with your teammates on the where you could actually go out and throw the ball around. And and, and I, I could go to a Mike Quick and find out his nuances and what he does well and what he does in the offseason. Because once you get to training camp, you're really focused on the team stuff, not the individual stuff. So I, I felt the league was going in a, in a bad direction anyway with the CBA limiting offseason workouts, not spending time with your coaches, not spending time in your, uh, your team city. I think the players overall have gotten incredibly better, uh, but I don't think the game on the field has gotten better. It's changed an awful lot, but I don't think the game on the field has gotten better. The players have because they're excellent athletic talent and, and a lot of their individual opportunity workouts where they're by themselves with their trainers, but I don't think it's helped build football teams under the new CBA and not being together. Football is the consummate team game played when players are together and learning how to play the game as a unit. RT, your thoughts? 
You know, I was uh, I saw a report on the news uh, last night, and I was just looking this up. It says no more than fifty percent of the staff and the seventy-five uh, individuals will be allowed at the same day at the facility at any one time. Only players rehabbing from an injury or are undergoing medical treatment will be granted uh, entry along with members of a team to strength conditioning with their staff. Uh, I thought I saw that where they were reopening the facilities. Now, I don't know if that's just here with the Raiders, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, but it's, it's ironic because I have a guy who trains uh, here with me that used to be in Philadelphia. And uh, 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 Nelson Aguilar, he's uh, attending church with me and he's, he's working out very hard. And I know that he's behind the scenes with Derek Carr and other guys. So these guys are working out. But to be able to get back right. to these facilities, watch Zoom videos and have these meetings and things, I think it's fine. But if you don't have a, a, a some hammer strength or a squat rack, when it comes time, it's going to be a different league. Guys are going to be lighter. Um, they may be quicker. They might have the good flexibility, but they're not used to the pounding. It's just – it's really crazy. But I really believe there is going to be a football season without a doubt. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. 12 to $15 billion every single year. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Donovan, yeah. Um, Well, first and foremost, I I don't have a problem with the whole Zoom meeting as far as going over plays. I think that's important because the communication is so vital for quarterback coaches and head coaches to be in a conversation and a meeting with the actual quarterbacks and the players. So I think the meeting aspect of it is is what it is because you know how we, we have been in quarterback meetings, guys. We sit down, we take notes, we see, see film, and I'm sure the coaches will be submitting some type of video to send to these a lot of these players. For instance, for, for Philadelphia, I'm sure Jalen Hurts has received DVDs or some type of, you know, hear me saying DVDs and VHS, uh, just stuff <laughs> over the net so that, so that, you know what I mean, so that he could see some of the offensive schemes and the way it's been run and things of that nature. Uh, but when you t- extend it to as far as conditioning and things that like that are concerned, uh, what I try to try to do is I worked with my trainer uh, to get faster, stronger, better shape. And what I did was I invited guys out to Arizona. So I had guys fly out. I, I held them up in hotels out here and we were able to train together for a week or two. And so I would feed them. Obviously we would go out, we would spend time working out as far as the conditioning and, and strength is concerned. And then later in the evening, we would go out to throw routes, something very similar to what we're seeing down in Tampa with yeah. Tom Brady now working with Rock Gronkowski, OJ Howard, uh, Goodwin, as well as um, Evans. And that's something that quarterbacks do. We spend time with our guys, even if, yeah. even that it's away from the facility, because it's an environment that we can be comfortable with. We're not kind of under the umbrella where we feel like we're being watched. So I think the timing of it all will be great for offensive schemes and things of that nature. Maybe defense will be a little behind this time going into camp because of what offenses can do. But I just think overall with the training and things of that nature, it's gotten better. Something Jaws talked about. These guys, will they're better athletes because they have personal trainers. So it's a lot different than what you're doing in the facility to the training staff. But I think there's a benefit throughout this whole deal. Really? Uh, I, I'm one of those people that think that, you know, you in order for you to be good at football, you need to practice football. You got to do it. Right. You know, and you're, you're talking about you know, the wide receivers and the the wide receivers and the and, and the quarterbacks. You know, obviously right. you know, that, that's your wheelhouse. But, you know, those right. big guys in front of you, 
aren't you know on the same page protection wise and all those types of things it makes they it gotta hit something yeah i mean it's, it's, yeah. it's almost impossible for you to do your job and then on the defensive side of the ball it's repetition as well you know if you don't get those reps and that's what i'm thinking that you know it's, it's you know yeah you're always going to get the the classroom piece of it you know michael we got the classroom piece of it you know but the the, the rubber really met the road when you took the classroom piece of it out on the field and were able to apply it as a team, you know, not just, you know, the wide receivers and the quarterback, but as a total team, your thoughts, Michael. Is he frozen? Yeah. He look, he looked frozen because yeah. his mustache ain't moved. Yeah. Hey, 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 I got to chime in since I got out of, I got a break from Michael and I, I see Randall there and, uh, I can think back. That's going to probably back 35. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm up already. Randall probably knows where I'm going with it. You know, and I, yeah, and I appreciate Randall saying that I was his mentor. And I, I love Randall, still do. But when he came to the team, he was just refreshing as hell. And we're in the film room, and Sid Gilman is, uh, you know, a Hall of Fame coach. And uh, Randall does one of these phenomenal plays, Seth. And he breaks out the pocket. Four guys miss. He jumps over two guys, runs out of bounds. And I'm expecting uh, Randall to go, well, I read the coverage, Coach, and I decided to Randall goes, Randall goes, hey, look at those fans. <laughs> look at the fans jumping up and down. This young man. <laughs> yeah, that camaraderie, man. You got you yeah, to have that camaraderie. All up in the meeting room. You know? oh, That's shit. the meeting for fun. <laughs> hey, hey, Seth, well, back then, he, I don't even think Sid Gilman knew my name. He called me Charlie. <laughs> hey, no, Charlie, he you got to throw that ball on time there, cat. He called you Randy and you said, it's Randall. <laughs> wow. wow. But Seth, I, mean, Seth I, I, I understand what you're saying about defense and, and the repetition. <laughs> and, and, and we got to understand, too, when I go into the training staff, you know, as far as training is concerned, <laughs> you got guys, you got guys who specifically train offensive linemen that – I know um, Latro I think is Latrell's Bentley. He has he has his own little uh, deal where he's trained. He has a bunch of offensive guards and tackles and center that come and train. And I, I just think for this is the time where you really get a test of the leadership that That's you have right. on your football team That's because good, it, for for a true leader, you have to be able to galvanize the troops no matter what it may be. Yeah, we're in a tough time. But there's there's ways of getting to where you need to be destination wise and being able to work in a comfortable environment where you're still safe and still being effective to kind of enhance your job, to be great at your craft. And so I, I know we're all looking at it from the half, the glass half full kind of so to speak, but you have to take into account, man, this is your job. So no matter when this thing kind of gets going, you got to be ready. And if you're not ready, you can't say, well, I, I wasn't here to work out with the team. No, it's on you to do what you need to do to make sure that you are ready when the whistle blows. You know, Seth, this is when this is when the great coaches are going to step up, too. Belichick's not going to have any issues. I'll tell you that right now. His guys are going to be ready right. to play. They're going to be ready to play because there's nobody special on the team. He gets that team going. He knows what he's doing. Uh, Gruden's another one. Gruden's going to do something out here in Las Vegas. He just is one of those guys he loves and his passion for the sport. is going. He's going to figure out every nuance, and he's going to uh, look under every rock to find out a way to get his guys prepared to play. And the, the teams that start off fast this year, 
and finish off fast, as we know, in November and December are going to be the teams that really get it done. And Gruden uh, and, and is one of those kind of types of coaches. And Donovan, what you're saying, the leadership quality, that's exactly right. When Ron uh, ended up retiring, and, and it's like I'm sitting there, and it's like they hand me the keys to the team. It's like, uh-oh, it's really on now. You know, it's one yeah. thing to yeah. ride his coattail and to learn all the great things I learned from Ron, but it's like, okay, Ron, you got to be the leader of this team now. And and that's what these guys got to do. And some of these young teams like Cleveland and some of these teams that got younger guys, it's one thing to be the Patriots. It's one thing to have Brady coming down to your team and bringing Gronk down there. And here are guys that are veterans. They're going to – those young kids are going to eat that up. But what's the coaching yeah. staff we're going to do? That's the question. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, make a, you make a good point. You know, listen, I, I, I played for Mike Shanahan and I played for um, Mike Holmgren. And those coaches, and Donovan probably can attest to this, those coaches out of that West Coast 49ers system, the one thing that they are is they don't do a lot of cattle prop. They don't do a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming. There's, no. a, there's a certain expectation level. There's things. There's not a whole bunch of rules. There's like, right. okay, this this is the expected behavior of what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. How this is how you're supposed to do it. And listen, if you don't do it, we'll find somebody else to do. It. I mean, that's yep. that's the one thing that I took from those organizations, is, and and that's the way the Belichick is. You know, they call it the Patriot way. You come in, you do things the, the way that we do them, or you get yourself out of here. That's pretty much how it is. But you're right. You know, th this is a time for the coaches. You know, to step forward as leaders. It's a time for the leaders on the team to step forward and grab the young guys, you know, by the coattail and pull them yeah. along and try to figure out, okay, how do we navigate this difficult time? Because someone's going to be the 2020, 21, you know, Super Bowl champion right now, mm -hmm. everybody's in a position where, you know, they can claim that Lombardi trophy. The question is who's going to do all the things that's necessary to be there holding it at the end of the day. That's right. Um, Seth, you're right. You know, we're, we're all products of, of the coaches that coached us. And and every one of us has fond memories of those guys that we looked up to and aspired to be. And I think of my how I live my life now is basically reflective on the coaches that coached me from yeah. a, a Don Shula, a Dick Vermeil, a Buddy Ryan, a, a Marty Schottenheimer, Chuck Knox, those coaches won a, close to a thousand games as their coaching careers. <laughs> I benefited from those guys. You know, I, I learned from being around these professionals that knew how to, and you said it, run a team. Because if you don't run a team the right way, you're gone. You're right. gone. It's that simple. Right. You have to win. So I was fortunate enough to be around coaches that knew how to lead. And that's what it boils down to. You have to have strong leadership skills to be successful. Yeah. Well, you know, well, you know, yeah, go ahead. Right, I mean, go ahead, sir. No, right. I was, I was just going to elaborate a little bit on what Ron was talking about because you now it's, it's not so much of leaning on the shoulders of the head coaches as players and, and us three, us four, we could talk about this because you don't rely on your, your coaches to do your job. You do your job. So now this is the test for the individual player Just deep dig deep down into their soul and find out what type of player you are. What type of uh, work ethic are you going to build? Are people going to follow you? What is your desire and determination? Like when you look around at some of these kids nowadays, they just play football because they were athletic. They don't understand the game from a mental standpoint. 
and you don't last long for your athletic ability. And so now you have to build some type of drive where your patience is starting to get limited because you want to eat. Dogs got to eat. And that's what it's about. Like, I had a linebacker mentality. I always wanted to go out and dominate. And you can only do it in one position at the quarterback position, but you have to make sure all the 10 other guys are on their P's and Q's to do their job. So my success was based off of what they were able to do. But if I was prepared, they had the comfort level knowing that he knows what he's doing, so I need to do my job. And so that's where the test comes in when they get back to the facilities and get going, no matter if it's in July or August, when the season starts, there is no looking back and saying, well, maybe I should have ran a few more sprints or I shouldn't have ate this or I should have been on a diet. No, you better do it now so it's second nature to you later. Well, I tell you what, you know, as we transition, you know, Doug Peterson, you know, like I said, talked. Um, and one of the things that struck me as odd, you know, it sounds like um, the Eagles have pretty much made the transition and are moving on, you know, from Jason Peters to yeah. – um to Diller. Andre Diller. You know, so when yeah. you listen, when you listen to some of the the quotes, you know, he said, you know, we drafted him to be our left tackle. You know, even yeah. though we've been in contact with Jason Peters and we love to have him back, you know, this is the guy that we drafted, you know, to be the heir apparent at left tackle. He also said, you know, and this was somewhat of a scrap head scratcher. Um you know, as much as I love Doug, sometimes, you know, some of his quotes, you know, kind of leave you wondering. Um, <laughs> he, he basically said, hey, he's taking he's taking control of that role. Um, and I have a ton of confidence in him. Um, it, it, listen, you guys play the position of quarterback. You know, I used to like beating up quarterbacks, you know, the, and the most important position on the offensive line is left tackle. Um, the thing that kind of leaves me a little perplexed is you know, okay, you draft him to be that guy, and he's taking control of it. I don't know. I mean, he started three games at left tackle and started one game at right tackle last year, and he didn't fare well after those four games. I don't think he played anymore except in the sub package as, you know, as a tight end. Um, so the question is, where is he proving it, that he's taking control of it, you know, and what has he done that's shown you that you're confident that you're off – off injured quarterback that you're going to trust the second year player to watch his back. Now I get it. It may be time because of what you spent draft capital wise to move that guy in that position. But some of these assertions yeah. you know, kind of leaves me wondering. Um, and then one of the few, one of the other quotes that I heard that, you know, the longer this thing goes, if it's delayed, 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 then they may have to make the move to Jason Peters and bring him back because of what they haven't been able to get accomplished, you know, in the, in the off season with Andre Dillon, Josh, your thoughts. Cause my goodness, man, I want Barnes Taylor beat you up from the backside. He beat Randall up too. So he got the pocket passer and the scrambler. So he got both. We all know what Doug said is coach speak. Come on. What is he going to say? Hey, um, we drafted Jalen Hurts because we don't think Andre Dillard can protect Carson Wentz. Oh, he's not going to say that. You've got to give this guy all the confidence in the world. You know, I, I thought there was some improvement last year. Not enough where I could anoint him as, you know, for, for me, where I had a Stan Walters and, you know, uh, 
uh, Donovan had, you know, Trey Thomas and John Runyon. You know, I, I was fortunate to have two all-pro tackles. You know, you, hey, you come in the game, you feel really good about the guys you line up and play with most of the time. So from a coaching perspective, you know, you're not going to throw a guy under the bus in the offseason media and say he can't get the job done. You know, he did play 336 snaps last year, so he did get some experience. Of course, Peters played about 870 or something like that. So, right, uh, right. But Peters got all the work. But the thing is, he's going to have to, Dillard's going to have to get on the field and show that no matter what Co- Coach Peterson says, no matter what anyone says, you got to go on the field and you'll know real quick. And I tell you this, okay, Jaws, I, I can remember, you know, the 79, 80, 81 season, you know, um, that you had and the guys that you had and the running game that you had. You know, Donovan, I, I remember that offensive line that you had. But when I pass this on to Randall, listen, you know, there was, <laughs> there, was a, there was like a five or six year window where Randall, he was getting sacked 55 times a year on average. I mean, set the franchise record one year, 72 sacks. So I'm interested to hear, interested to hear Randall's take on all of this because I literally st- stood on the sideline and watched this guy run for his life, you know, three quarters out of four quarters on almost every darn game that we play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron got sacked 70 times that year. I got oh. sacked 72 times. <laughs> I remember, uh, all joking aside, I remember playing uh, against the Seattle Seahawks. We flew out there. I got sacked 10 times or 11 times in that one game. Then we went to the Raiders and went into overtime. I got sacked another nine or ten times. I got sacked 20 times. I need, uh, I needed two left tackles, two guards on the left side, a, center, <laughs> a tight end on that side, you know, <laughs> because that's just the way it was. But I understood because we were building a defense and defense wins championships. But I'll tell you what, as a quarterback, you have to. You have to have somebody on that left side. I know it's nice to have a running back bumping out. I remember one game. I don't mean to throw Herschel Walker uh, under the bus, but we were playing. Against, we were we were playing against the Giants, and uh, Herschel looked at the protection. He said, "He said, Randall, they trying to get you killed, man. They got me over there chipping off the edge." And I said, "Hold on, we're not sliding that way." He said, "No, man, I can't block LT. He said LT is going to run through me." And I started thinking about that, and it messed me up for the next game. Like, I was really thinking about LT the whole game. So you don't want your quarterback in the NFL worrying about who's on that left side. Yeah, you could throw a tight end over there. Yeah, you could put an H-back or chip off. But you need to slide and sometimes double-check to that side and have your hot on the right side. So you 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 got to – I mean, yeah, Jalen Hurts is there for a reason. You know, we don't want our quarterback hurt. We need We need somebody there just in case. Donovan. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll add to to that and to the makeup of the team now. I personally thought they were going to move Lane Johnson to backside and yeah. put Dillard to the front side. And that's something that the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles have been known for. When when Trey Thomas got hurt, we brought Winston Justice in. They were talking about moving Sean Andrews from right guard to tackle, which he played a couple games. But that's something that you left to look at. Now, as far as what Doug Peterson is talking about, Jaws is right. That's just coaches speak. That's coaches speak because how can you let a guy go and then you have to show to the fans that we really need him back again? They have to have all the faith they have in their first round draft pick. And also to add to that, 
you got to understand, this is the hot seat for Howie Roseman. Because if they don't get to the playoffs or they don't do very well going further, and now the offensive line is in shambles, and then we're not getting the offensive production we expected, this might be Howie Roseman's last year in Philadelphia. So they have to figure out a way going forward to put Dillard at the tackle, maybe chip him or slide protection to him to help him. But also, you got to take into account that weak side tackle, that backside tackle wasn't always the problem. There were other holes in the offensive line, too, at times. So I just think for for what we've seen thus far and the decision-making due to this whole pandemic, uh, they have to say that. But they're banking on Dillard to be that guy and not going back to um, Jason Peters. Wow. I, I just, you know, when I think about Carson Wentz and what's best for him, um, that just makes me shudder. To think, you know, that you're going to put a young guy. And, and you know what? Doug doesn't have the propensity, you know, to make adjustments where you're willing to send out, you know, four guys instead of five into a pattern. You know, I've watched him, you know, with Big V struggling at left tackle, continue to put five guys out into the route or just or go slide protection, you know, um, even to him and send the back the other way. And I'm like, Man, you got to put the tight end over there. Even though you want to get Ertz out into the route, you better put him over there and have him at least chip, you know, at least help out. Um, but I worry for Carson, you know, when you really when you really start to look at this, because even though you know Jason Peters has been off injured, um, you know, in, in my opinion, I just think Andre Dillard needs another year to get stronger, to understand the pro game. You know, he's definitely got the footwork and all of those things that need to go along with it. But, you know, he needs to eat a little gunpowder. You know, he needs to get a little mean in him. Um, because if you're going to play over there, protecting the quarterback's backside, you better be that guy that's not allowing anybody to come around that backside, you know, and get to the, you know, to, to the back of, back of your quarterback's head. You know, Seth, Seth let me, let me, yeah, I let agree me with you, you but I think, I think that uh, yeah. that young man, he knows that. He knows he needs to step up. And, right. and if, it's, if it's in his heart and he's got the right people around him, uh, hopefully he comes out and turns out to be a pro bowler because he knows what he has to do. Yeah. And uh, we got to give him the benefit of the doubt and put a little faith in him. It looks like the coaching staff's putting faith in him. And yeah, maybe you got to throw some quicker passes, adjust the offense or whatever. But I think, I think he's going to get the job done. I really do. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, just playing, I'm really just playing devil's advocate here, guys. I yeah, mean, right. I'm, I'm, I'm all for, you know, giving guys an opportunity, but I mean, you know, I, the show wouldn't – there'd be no justice on this show if we just, you know, got on here and said, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Fame, <laughs> a nine-time Pro Bowl in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> just, you know. That's the, right. He's got to learn how to protect himself. Right. Yeah. The play he gets hurt on by Clowney is a screen play. Yeah. It's dead. They read it. Throw, you know throw the ball away. What would Tom Brady have done? Spike in the ground. his feet. Play, yeah, play, live to play another play. No, this is what happens when running quarterbacks Donovan and Randall are out there. You get hurt. <laughs> you, you get hurt. Hey, wait a minute, Charles. We ain't running running quarterbacks. No, we got. <laughs> I got hurt. I got hurt in the pocket both times. <laughs> both times, blown out me and protect yourself. And I think that's where Carson. Yeah, that's right. You love the fact that he he fights for every play, like Don, you did, and Randall, you did. But at the end of the day. Those defensive guys are bigger, stronger, meanier, nastier. They're all like Seth. 
You know, they want to yep. puncture your lung. They want to bend your face. <laughs> they want to put you in the hospital. So get on the ground and learn to fight the next play. Before I pass it to Donovan, because I know he's got – listen, when he got hurt, when he tore his ACL and his LCL, I said to myself, this will be this, – this will be the litmus test for him. Because if he comes back and he realizes that, you know, you can't succeed every single play, that the defense wins sometimes. And you got to know when to just throw it away and punt the ball and rely on your defense, you know, to give you field position, to give you another possession. Um, when you can do that, then you're going to be successful. But you're right. You know, uh, it's just inside of him to think that every play has got to work. And if it can't work, then he wants to take the whole offense and throw it on his shoulders and try to make it work with his legs. And he better learn. He better learn, man. That you got to get down in this league sometimes. Sometimes you just got to throw it away and live to fight another play. Donovan. I, I love his will. Um, Car Carson has shown he can play this game. But uh, as Jorsky, Jorsky talked about, he has to protect himself. But also in regards, I mean, you got to put him in better position as well. And you have That's to, right. as coach, you have to explain to him the positives and the negatives of this whole deal. Now, yes, we were mobile quarterbacks, Randall and I. But we also learn how to play from the pocket, and when you hey, learn Darren, how to I play from the thousand yards in my career, you know that. Huh? I had almost a thousand yards rushing in my career. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, I just that's thought I'd throw that in there. Jaws played but, about twenty-five years too, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the whole thing is I, mean, I know we focus so much on our ability, but he has to learn how to play from the pocket and know when to get the ball out. The West Coast offense is about timing. It's about timing. Yeah, Randall got he got sacked ten times a game. I got sacked eleven times on national TV. OC Yorinor, uh, that wasn't any fun coming off of ACL. But he's battled real tough injuries. It, it hasn't been sprained ankles or or shoulder injuries. He's had a back, he had back injury. You know, I think he may have had back surgery. He had an ACL. Then he had the concussion. Then he had some, you know, it's just more and more wow. stuff where you got to learn to play from the pocket and get the ball out and be able to just move the chains. And so my question early on in the season last year wasn't about the talent. It was more of the play calling. You had Jordan Howard in the backfield, who's your power back, who averaged probably about three, four yards of carry. Give him the ball. You had Ertz, Zach Ertz just passed D Jason Witten the year before in catches and yards, and all of a sudden you don't throw the ball to him in the first eight games. So I just think they tried to get too cute and too pretty, and now they put so much pressure on Carson, and we yeah, glorify everything that he did, but we also magnify all the yeah. negative stuff that happened with him. Yeah, that's a tough place to be in um, when you know <clears throat> you know you got a tough quarterback that keeps trying to prove himself to be tough. You, you definitely yeah. got to give him the right offense. And, and you know, with two quarterbacks, the two quarterback system they had for the, what, the past, I don't know how many years, it was like there's one offense, there's another offense, and then, you know, you got to adjust to all these new players. They really need to sit down with him and figure out what he likes, which I'm sure they probably have done, but then you got to look at the players around you. And if you're dealing with offensive line issues and you're trying to figure out who your running back is going to be and how long uh, uh, the tight end is going to be able to play and if he's getting to the – uh, getting his routes done. It's just like, it's it's crazy to find out, you know, how you can use this quarterback and then he gets injured, you know? So it's a lot in the coaching staff as well. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to put our foot on the gas again. Um, I got a couple of topics. I'm just going to throw them out. Let's be brief with them. Um, 
Thoughts on Jalen Hurts with the 53rd pick? Jaws. Yeah, it, you know, I was surprised when I first heard the pick because most teams either draft for the best player available or need, and I didn't think this was either. But as I thought it through, uh, I really like Jalen Hurts. I mean, he's a very talented guy. And, uh, you know, it, it, it'll take a little time. Carson's still the quarterback. But, you know, Doug likes these gadgets. You know, actually, I think, you know, uh, in the regular in the first round is, is a gadget kind of player, punt return guy, kick return guy, slot receiver, a, a lot of gadget kind of plays. And I think you'll see a package early, much like Buddy Ryan developed for Randall. Remember Randall? I did that tag team coming in on third and seven or more. <laughs> yes. Probably the dumbest thing ever done in the history of football, but it was <laughs> – Randall <laughs> had fun with it, you know. Yeah, we did, and and we we enjoyed that. You know, we we enjoyed the, the chemistry of it. But I think you're going to see a, a Jalen Hurts package. You know, he's going to get some plays. So that's what Doug but, likes. He, he he likes. But let me, let me add yeah. to that, Jaws, um, because you mentioned how you guys dealt with it. But you know, and I know as, as a starting quarterback, when Randall got in there and picked up a couple first downs or made some miraculous plays, the fans wanted more. And that's the problem throughout this whole deal when they're trying to create this whole package of gadgets. Because Savoyan, Jalen Hurts isn't that type of quarterback. Jalen Hurts is number one, a winner. Number two, he's evolved at the position of being in three different offenses <laughs> and being very successful each year in those offenses. And then thirdly, if he's coming in to be your quarterback or you put him at the slot and you run a reverse pass to him and he throws a touchdown and gets two first downs in the game and Carson struggles, you know the fans of Philadelphia, Seth, Jaws, and Randall. You know the fans of Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. They're going to want more for of Jalen Hurts. And, 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 Don, I agree with you 100%. Here was the difference between, you know, with, with Randall and I. It was my 13th year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I, so I, I was willing to be his mentor, and I knew what was happening. Yeah. I was willing to assume the backup role. I knew the minute I had a rough day, I boo, we want Randall. <laughs> Randall go out there and do something ridiculous like he always did, and, you know, I'd hear it even more. But I, I was okay yeah. with that because I knew I wasn't the guy anymore. I knew it was time to start moving on the twilight of my career. This is different. Carson Wentz. You know, is in his fifth year. He's going to have to learn with that. And, and it, hey, it's hard when you're young. You want to be the man. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the boo birds are on. You have a bad half. You have a bad quarter. All of a sudden, Hertz comes in, makes a couple plays. They, you know, the media loves to stir the pot. We know that. That's that's yeah. half our job. You know, so it's it's certainly this will this will test the psyche of Carson Wentz more than the ability of Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm a big uh, Carson Wentz fan. I like his character. I like his uh, community work. I like him as a player. I love him as a player. I love him as a leader as well. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I love I love him as a player. Here's a kid who played for Alabama, played for Oklahoma, did great on both teams. You know, That's something that's abnormal in college. Mm -hmm. And so I understand why he got drafted. When you can leave a team and go to another team and do well like that at a major college level, you got to pat that kid on the back. Mm -hmm. I think that Drafting him in the second round, he could have gotten drafted higher, but drafting him in the second round, remember, I was the 49th pick in the second round, and I was the first quarterback pick, and I was able to do some things to uh, to get excited in Philadelphia, and I think this kid will do it, and I think that uh, 
Coach Peterson is smart enough. I think Jeffrey Lurie is uh, very wise, and he's going to maneuver these kids the right way. I mean, to think that Carson Wentz is only in his fifth year, to know that uh, uh, um, Mariola is uh, Mariota's out here with the uh, Raiders, and these guys are young guys. It's like people are getting shifted all over the league. But i tell you one thing that I know about Philadelphia. They want excitement. And whether it's the Polish rifle or whether it was me back in the day or you, Donovan, they want excitement, and you got to give them what they want. You know, they deserve it. They're going to come out, and they're going to give you their all. Yeah, you're going to get booed, <laughs> but the bottom line yeah. is <laughs> they're going to pack that stadium. I remember I was there for the Giants game when I got to flip the coin, and at halftime I was like, man, we're going to get beat. And I, I went back to my hotel, I had a flight, and the next thing you know, Carson Wentz brings the team back and we win the game. And I'm over at the hotel going crazy, you know? <laughs> and that's just Philadelphia. So whether it's Jalen kicking a little bit and getting a few plays or Carson pulling the game out at the end, it's like, man, it's just like, that's just Philadelphia football. And I get it, man. You <laughs> left early? Yeah. I, I, I keep talking about <laughs> I keep talking about putting my foot on the gas, but I'm going to put my foot on the brakes here because Doug Peterson talked about in his press conference also that, you know, Nate Sudfeld is going to be the backup in 2020. You know, now with his contract being the way that it is, it's highly likely after 2020 that he'll be he'll be able to shop himself and try to get out, you know, get a, get a job where he can actually play. Um, that puts even more emphasis on the number 53 pick overall. That you've got, yeah. the, the, you, you're you're not going to get any value. You're not going to get any return out of this this 53rd pick this year if that's the case. Well, it's it's funny you say that because Jaws brought up when they brought Randall in. Remember, they drafted Kevin Cobb in the second round with me. Yeah. Uh, I think in my in my seventh year. Uh, so you know, it, it's one in which as a quarterback, you got to just kind of put your nose to the ground and just kind of grind your way out and just focus on you because there's no loyalty in this game. And so I had Michael Vick. I brought Vick in, and then Vick showed him a couple wild plays here and there. And then I was in Washington on Easter. Kevin Cobb and Vick battling for the position. So I just think, listen, it's it's one in which I don't understand why he said anything about Sudfield, to be honest with you. Sudfield, is, he's irrelevant throughout this whole deal. But – the backup will be Jalen Hurts. He will be Jalen. It will be Jalen Hurts. And it won't be as the gadget play as we kind of expect because he's not Taysom Hill and he's not Lamar Jackson. So remember those two. So Lamar Jackson, who was a gadget guy, came in and he won 75% of the games that he played in. So got Joe Flacco out. And so Taysom Hill got Teddy Bridgewater out, who was 5-0 and as a starter. And they gave him $21 million. So this path that they're trying to lead Jalen Hurts on, it's not looking good for Carson by any means. Well, then you have to – see, I was prepared to move on until you made that statement. Well, yeah, we need, we, <laughs> Seth, we need to move on on that one. Yeah, I mean, we need to move on. Wait a minute. Leave Carson alone, man. Let Carson go and play. How did you sign him to the deal that you just signed him to last year and then turn around and do this? Because you know, he's one injury away from us realizing exactly what you're saying, Donovan. You, we, he's one injury away from this being the Nick Foles against, you know, Carson Wentz situation all over again. Why would you create that and then turn around and make him your franchise quarterback by guaranteeing over $60 million in the next two, two to three years? Because he was your number two pick that you traded up for, Seth. 
He's the guy that was the MVP before the injury. So you have to solidify that pick by paying him to show he's the franchise guy. He's shown you enough when he's healthy, but the whole thing is just when he gets hurt. So remember, look at his contract after 2021. I got that. It's all his money. He gets all his money up until the 2021 season. After 2021, there's nothing guaranteed. So he has to prove himself going forward for at least the next two, three years. And that's not me just talking negative about him, because this is probably going to hit Philadelphia. And they're going to be like, oh, Donovan's talking bad about Carson. <laughs> yeah, but, but the whole thing about it, you have to look at the facts throughout this whole process. It's, it's, not about, it's not about Carson. It's about the process, because if you listen to Howie Roseman's speech, where he talked about he has, he has loyalty to the organization to do his job. So if something happens, he has to have something he can fall back on in now Jalen Hurts to be able to carry the load like Nick did. No, I, I Listen, if Carson Wentz doesn't pan out for whatever reason, when he walks out of Philadelphia, Harry Roseman will be carrying his bags. Hey, Randall. Did yes, you hear those numbers? Signing bonus, 66 million, 120 million. <laughs> you know what, Josh? I'm telling you, I remember my 150,000 I made that first year. <laughs> you know, hey, you guys. In 1981, I was the highest paid player in the NFL. Highest paid player in the whole NFL, $400,000. And man, I thought I had it made. I'm still yeah. working. <laughs> Hey, man, I was thinking about making a comeback, and then my knee started bothering me a couple minutes ago. <laughs> I had to stretch my knee out. Those days are done for us. Hey, hey Donovan got all the money, man, after we, after we were gone. Yes. I'm, I'm out there. You hey, have it. Hey, hit the gas, Sam. Hit the gas. Hey, listen, <laughs> as an eighth-round draft pick, I ain't even going to make y'all crack up and fall off y'all. <laughs> hey, we remember each other's salaries, right, Sam? Absolutely, man. Okay. So I'm going to step on the gas because that's what Donovan wants me to do. Let's talk about these upgrades at wide receiver, okay? Um, was the Rager over Jefferson move the proper move? And then when you look at what they got, Rager, they, the trade for, for, for Goodwin, Hightower, and Watkins, what does that mean for the future of the wide receiver position for the Philadelphia Eagles? I'm going to start with you this time, Randall. Brother, I'm not up on it that much because I've been studying the Bible so much. <laughs> oh, Randall, come on. I ain't getting involved with that one. I got Nelson I got Nelson Aguilar out here going to church with me. I'm trying to work with this young man, keep his confidence high. And I want to give a shout out to Mark McMillan, who just uh, 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 gave us a little shout out on the screen here. He used to play with his mini Mac. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Donovan, he don't want to I know, know you I ain't tough. going there. <laughs> <laughs> Go get it, Donovan. <laughs> Come on, Don. You know what? Um, I, I, I questioned the pick because Mims was still on the board, which he's a bigger size receiver, can stretch the field and get downfield, which you already had Alshon Jeffrey. So now you're bringing in a, another guy with a big body to play on the outside. Deshaun Jackson's coming back off an of injury. I didn't understand the Rager pick. Uh, because are you bringing them in for punt return or are you bringing them in to play the slot? The Jefferson deal, to me, Jefferson is a slot receiver. He's not an outside receiver. I understood that. But when you have bigger receivers 
in the draft who can run the run the field and have been effective in college, I thought that would have been one. And then going forward, um, you look at just your competitors. You look at everybody in the NFC East. I mean, C.D. Lamb gets gets grabbed up by the Dallas Cowboys. So now you're thinking our secondary still is in the field with corners that can cover three three good receivers. The Washington Redskins drafted two receivers. So I, I just thought there were holes that we could have filled at that particular point. Um, nothing against Rager because I think he's he's uh, electrifying. But I just thought that Mims would have been a better pick. That's a speed thing. You know that's about speed. It's about yeah, speed. Yeah, but if you don't have tight anybody end. on the outside, who yeah. Mims is still a four-four guy. He's still a four-four guy. I mean, and yeah. he, he can get up, up, up and get high balls or whatever it may be, especially when you got the two tight ends set. We got two talented tight ends. Yeah, and that's what's going to happen. They're going to double the tight ends and try because they know that Wentz is going to throw the tight ends. Now the little guy is going to go up type like a Randy Moss, and you're going to see these plays happening, and then they're going to say, okay, hold on a second, because that's what happened with us. We had Andrew Glover, and then you got Chris Carter. You got Chris Carter in the slot. You got Randy on the outside, and then you got Glover can go down the hole. Next thing you know, Randy's going down the sideline and breaking a two-deep zone with his speed. And so I think that's yeah, Randy's also six four, Randall. Yeah, and, and Randy Moss can probably jump about 40 inches. But I'm telling exactly. you, some, some of these young kids are just hungry. And, and when you give them a chance, they're going to make some things happen. I think he's going to work out to be a good pick. Hey, hey, hey Randall, hey, Hall of Fame wide receivers. How the hell did you guys not win the Super Bowl that year? Oh, <laughs> you oh. you, hey, bro, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> First of all, Jaws, I knew he wouldn't be able to resist talking about some he didn't want to touch that one. That's the first <laughs> yeah. the second thing is I want to thank them for not making it to the Super Bowl <laughs> with the Denver Broncos and we beat the the, the exactly the Broncos that year to win the Super Bowl. Man, I'm looking at them. I'm like, nobody's beating them. Nobody. I didn't think anybody was – Seth, I didn't think anybody was going to beat Baltimore this year. No. With, the, with that young yeah. buck over there, Lamar, I'm like, hold on. Who's going to stop him? Who's going to stop the running back? Who's? And it's like, man, it's just like, wow, you know? Yeah. All right. So we're going to move over to um, locker room roundtable, past, present, future. Um, talk to me about the quarterback position. You guys of the past, you know, um, the future state of the quarterback position. Give me your opinion about what you see. Yeah, since I'm the uh, the most experienced in this group, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I when I started playing football in 1973 in the NFL, the same 11 guys on offense stayed on the field for an entire series of plays. Yeah. Same 11 guys on defense stayed on the field for the entire series. Yeah. The game is now so complex and sophisticated, it has become very difficult for the quarterback to play. It really has. And I think today's players are phenomenal. What they have to digest from not only a schematic, uh, what they do offensively, but what defenses do. I have incredible respect for today's quarterbacks and what they have to do and the way the game has now evolved to three, four, and even five wide receivers on the field right now. Um, I think it's it is as much pressure as there was, say, when I came in the league in the 70s, there is so much pressure on the quarterback now to perform, to win, 
or you move on. It's it, it's a tough position to play. Randall. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm looking at quarterback duos in the league. And uh, we've talked about Wentz, we've talked about Hurts, but I'm 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 sitting here in Vegas and I'm looking at uh the, the young car kid, and then you got Marcus Mariota on the same team. And it's like, oh my God. I mean, it's like the duos, there's there's some there's some things happening in the league right now where I don't know if they trust the quarterbacks, if it's a pressure thing, but you know, I agree with Jaws. It's it's like you're there, and if you don't have the right offense that fits you and the coordinator doesn't know what he's doing, then it's really gonna mess up a kid's career. And here with Gruden, Gruden knows what he's doing, and he's got two quarterbacks here. It's gonna be that's it's, I don't know if there's gonna be a controversy going on here, but you got two great quarterbacks on the same team out here. And so it's gonna be something to see. Don. <laughs> I think the stage of the quarterback position right now it's it's why it's so wide open now. It's almost to the fact that we're as close to arena football, to be honest with you. I mean, there's no downhill running running game. There everything is kind of sideline to sideline. Everybody's running these wildcat type of offenses. And then now you got guys like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, who are the dinosaurs of the league, but still playing at a high level that yeah. no one really wants to talk about. And and so uh, I think the problem with the game today is about the wow effect. Yeah, they see Lamar run for 1,000 yards. We've seen that with Vic. You know, Randall had his moments. Uh, but the whole thing about it is when it comes down to playoff time, you got to be able to establish the mood of sticks. If yep. it's running a football, if it's being able to complete on third down, you have to be effective in that way. Now, the defensive schemes are pretty much the same as they were back then. The players are a lot more talented. But I, well, from what I've seen from a lot of the, the players of the quarterback position now, I'm excited because you got guys like Patrick Mahomes, you got Deshaun Watson, you got Lamar Jackson. You know, we talked Aaron Rodgers and the old guys. But I'm excited to see where this game goes with those guys. Well, hey, look, look who showed up. Look who just yeah, who's back? Oh, he's gone. He's gone, Don. I made it back. Uh, oh yeah. You know, he's moving so fast. You still in the Technical car? Technical difficulties, man. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over here. All right. So I'm, I'm going to throw this question to you, Mike. We, we closed the wrapping up, so I'm going to throw this question to you. Past, present, future. Um, yeah. What do you see in the future, the future of the NFL quarterback? Uh, I see the position continuing to grow um, in, in all facets. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to have guys – Almost on every team that, that that looked like, you know, what you seen last year, Patrick Mahomes or, or Lamar Jackson type, uh, similar to what Donovan and myself did and Randall and and Jaws from time to time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws will hit it up in there and get hey, you a good Jaws. fifteen. I seen you scramble a couple times. I know you. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out the 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 yards per carry. About the position it's going down. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's he, he's a hot mess with his with his you know phone on <laughs> on, on the road. He on that cricket. He on that cricket. Brick phone in front of those guys and just enjoy everything. They kill it. They kill it. You might. It's the two G Wi Fi. The two G. Yeah, the two G Wi Fi. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to give you one more softball, Mike, before you before you bow out again. We had a long conversation about, you know, Jalen Hurts being picked at number 53. Everybody had an opinion about it. I'm curious to see what your thought. 
Uh, I thought it was a good pick. Uh, can y'all hear me? Yeah. Yep. All right, good. I thought it was a good pick. Um, you know, every every quarterback, starting quarterback, needs somebody behind him that's going to push him. And uh, throughout my years, I always had guys pushing me. Uh, Matt Schaub and, and Kevin Cobb and, you know, Nick Foles. It, it, makes, it makes you a better quarterback. It, it puts the pressure on you that um, everyone can't feel out there. And, uh, you know, as being former quarterbacks, we know what it's like. So I, I think it's a good um, fit for, you know, for the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Um, you know, Carson Wentz is the guy. He'll continue to be the guy. And I, I think the, the upside is tremendous for him. But they have a quality backup in Jalen who can continue to learn and not have the pressure of having to go out and play right now. And, you know, at the right time when the Philadelphia Eagles need him, he'll be there for him. So I was excited about the pick. I mean, I didn't think it would happen that early, but it happened for a reason. All right, as we continue to wind down, I'm going to ask you guys one question. Just give me a quick answer, all right? Find this memory as a Philadelphia Eagle. Josh. In the playoffs. Want me to lead it off? Yes. Clearly, yeah. Clearly beating the Dallas Cowboys for the NFC Championship oh game in, in, in 1980. And, and, and by the way, Seth, there was just some breaking news on ESPN. Um, my rushing yards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> career rushing yards. 909 yards and 17 touchdowns, Randall and Donovan. I saw that. <laughs> How many years, Tom? I'm trying to. I'm trying, to do, I'm trying to do the math right quick because you're talking about 16 years, 990 yards, and 17 touchdowns. Oh. oh, God. There you go. Oh, that's sweet, Josh. Oh, RC, what's your most memorable experience being a bird, man? You know, uh, there's so many. Um, but I just had to say it's a it's the team event when we went down to uh, when we went down to New, when we went down to New Orleans uh, and we played them in the playoffs and it was kind of like either get it done or, or none of us were going to have jobs and Calvin and Freddie went off in the second half catching bombs and putting their body on the line and it was just really amazing to see Freddie and Calvin and and how we came together we couldn't hear anything in that dome. Bobby Bear was doing his things. The linebackers on their team, you know, they had Mills and uh, Ricky Jackson, all those guys swilling, and they were just getting it done. And, and and the next thing you know, our team just came together as a unit. And the defense played and the offense played. And the next thing you know, we came out of there with a victory. and We weren't even favored to win. And that was like a turnaround for all of us because I think that was a pivotal point of what we were going to do, whether we were going to win or we were going to just continue as losing playoffs all the time. We finally, the players – came up and won the game. And I think we came Donovan, together. Donovan, now, you, you guys really kind of flipped the script. I mean, five, I mean, unprecedented. Five NFC championships, a, a, a trip to, you know, the Super Bowl in 08, you know, 11 years playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I, I'm hard to pick, you know, but what would be your most memorable moment as a Philadelphia Eagles? Well, let me start by saying I apologize, Mike, because I'm about to bring it up. But it was us beating Atlanta in the, in the NFC Championship to finally get over that hump to uh, make it to the Super Bowl. And, and Josh, we, we kind of know how it feels 
when it seems like that pressure is just on your shoulders each and every year of making it to that point and not being able to get over that hump. And I thought we really became a true unit for everything that we had been through to get over that hump. It wasn't about any stars. It was about guys doing what they need to do. Uh, we were able to secure the win. Uh, and in securing the win, you can feel the energy of the fans. Like the whole city changed once we got over that hump. Uh, it felt like you walked down the street and you you felt like you were somebody's uncle, cousin, brother, because they felt like they needed to give you a hug and say thank you. Uh, and so for 11 seasons, man, it was just five NFC championships and the second round playoff games and, you know, just things of that nature that was successful. But to get over that hump is what really, really I will always remember uh, of just the appreciation for our football team. Since Michael just dropped off, you know, I'm again, I'm again, I'm gonna move on to the next. Jaws, your favorite target, and it's tough. I know Harold Carmichael, Mike Quick, favorite target, and why? Yeah, you, uh, I don't think there's there was ever one. I think there was, um, so many guys I was fortunate to, to, to throw to, even and you could include running backs in that, that group. But sometimes when I, when, I, when I think of players, I'm sure all, all the guys think of this. The further we get removed, my I gave you one more shot. Players, Michael's back. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's like a Saturday night live. Shit, I'm so know. mad. I'm so mad. Hey, Randall, he's like a beanie over here. Josh, hey, hold, hold on one minute while I got him. Michael. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Go, go, Seth. You have you have the most the, the shortest stint in Philadelphia. The question was, okay, what was your most memorable experience as a Philadelphia? Um, I would say, uh, man, I got to go with the miracle in the Meadowlands, man, because of a game that we never thought we would win. Um, being down, whatever we was down, a whole bunch of points, we was able to come back and win the game. We gave up in the third quarter. Not really gave up, but was looking forward to the next week. And I know that's something you're not supposed to do in the National Football League. But uh, to be able to come back and win that game was was uh, part of the reason that I came to play for, for Philadelphia. And uh, to be able to, to win with my teammates made it even more special. While, you, while I got you, I'm going to keep you rolling, okay? Favorite but, target, favorite target, and why? Um, my favorite target... I'm pretty sure Donovan could attest to this. Was and he had a couple of them, but mine was Deshaun Jackson. I was very thankful to have a guy like him because I never had a number one receiver, and uh, he was just a speed burner. I, I see why Andy drafted him. I see why Donovan had success with him, and I was able to do the same thing. And lastly, okay, if you could build your top three, top wide receiver, top running back, top tight end to play with you, any game, who would they be? Past, present, whatever. Uh, um, any is you talking anybody? 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 Okay, a receiver, Randy Moss. Um, a running back. Uh, I got to go with Barry Sanders, and then I line up behind the center. Tight end. <laughs> Tight end, Tony Gonzalez. Cool. All right. So now if you drop off again, don't even worry about it. <laughs> All right, Jaws. Jaws, you up. Favorite target and why? 
Yeah, I, I, Seth, I was talking about, you know, I, I I was fortunate to have guys like a Hall of Famer now, Harold Carmichael and Mike Quick. But when I, when I think of my teammates, I think of them all. And I said, the older I get, the further removed from the game, the, the better memories I have of my teammates. And and that's those are the memories that really lasted. Games, big plays, we all shared a lot of those. But I think, you know, when I see Don, I see Michael, I see you, set, you know, golf outings, different things. Th- those are the things I really cherish now. You know, the friendships, the relationships, and those those that we've developed through the years. To me, that's what's most important. Awesome. Yeah. Leave it to Jaws to be politically correct. Let's go, RT. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to play with some great guys. Mike Quick was uh, no joke. I remember in practice one day, he caught a ball with one hand. I threw it as hard as I could. He snatched it with one hand and kept on going. I just, we were in the, the bubble. I don't know if you remember that, Seth, but I was oh, like, yeah. man, Josh, you remember it. I was oh, like, yeah. man, that, dude, that dude's amazing. But to play with a guy like Chris Carter, too, and have both of them on the same team, and then, I mean, you throw Randy in there. Um, I mean, it was great having Glover, Jimmy Giles, Keith Jack. I mean, I can't even tell you the talent that I was able to play with all of my career. I just like to go and just hang out and have a reunion, you know, just to kick yeah. it with everybody because these dudes were so amazing. Of course, many people would say Randy Moss because of his speed. I would say quick because he groomed me as a person. But then I'd have to say Chris Carter because, man, that dude just he was just hardcore, man. I mean, if, if it, the game was on the line, give me the ball. And then, well, running backs, I loved Robert Smith, uh, but big Keith Byers was my boy. So, I mean, I'll be all over the place. So that's not really a fair question because I don't want to show favoritism for one guy because so many of them played different roles in my life and helped my career along. But there's some, man, there's some great players out there. I'll tell you what, you quarterbacks are pretty darn diplomatic. Donovan, come on, man. (laughs) Don's going to do the same thing. I'm just gonna fall right in place because you know if I make the one day, he's probably gonna come out of <laughs> he gonna come out on social media and try. <laughs> uh, but you know what, man? I, I I'm with Jaws. To be honest with you, I mean, even though the names and and, and Michael brought up Deshaun Jackson, I only had a few years with Deshaun while he was young coming in. So the explosive plays that we had in that kind of tight window that, that myself got and uh, Brian Westbrook got a chance to play with Deshaun. Deshaun was dynamic. Now, we know, obviously, T.O., and everybody's waiting on me to say something about T.O., and I'm not. Um, so everyone else, everyone else, like the Chad Lewis's, L.J. Smith's, Jeff Tomlinson, you know, the James Thrash and, and Todd Pinkston, um, you know, Freddie, you know, everybody did what they needed to do. So I didn't have those Hall of Famers out there, but just one. Um, but we may do with what we had. Well, I, I'll say this, Donovan. Um, anytime, you know, that you're ready for a mediator, I'm available. Listen, man, life is too short. <laughs> listen, I'm, 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 I'm just being serious. I mean, listen, I know no. we, we all know how difficult it is to be on a team and have 53 guys and everybody like each other and everybody get along. But you know, anytime you're ready for a mediator, man, I'm willing to sit down with you and T.O. and work through this, man, because, listen, both of y'all were phenomenal players, man. Let's There's no doubt. Both, both of y'all are Hall of Fame players, man. At some point in time, man, let's just let bygones be bygones and, you know, be boys and move on. Um, I don't know all the ins and outs and all the dynamics that happen, man, but, you know, I would love to see, you know, you guys be able to put it aside and move on. 
And I'm going to just leave it right there. When you're ready, I'm here, brother. You know where to find me. That's right? good stuff, Seth. That's good stuff, man. No, no doubt about it. Hey, listen, man. This has not only been a joy and a pleasure for the city of Philadelphia, but it's been a joy and a pleasure for me being able to be with two guys that I played with and two, two young guys that I watched grow up, you know, in the game and do phenomenal things, you know, for the city that I love. And I know, listen, there's a, there's a whole lot of fans that had a whole lot of questions, you know, and I said from the beginning, I just want to keep it organic. And that's what we did. I, I hope that the fans out there enjoyed it. I hope that you guys enjoyed it and had a great time. And I know how precious your time is. Mike, you know what, man? Dropping in and out. I appreciate <laughs> you coming back, man. I, I really do. <laughs> really because a lot of guys really conversate. I wanted to conversate with you guys, man. It's, it's very rare that we can all get together. And uh, I think this was a special time. And good to see you, Jaws. You, Randall. Donovan, hit me up, man, so we can laugh sometime, bro. Hit me up. Always. <laughs> you know it. And, and listen, we got to get down. We got to get down and out on the golf course. I don't know if you're still playing, RC, still hitting that two iron. But we 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 need to get down and out. He's the only guy on here that don't play golf. Figure that. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I messed my shoulder up yesterday trying to hit my driver, man. See, <laughs> there the, you go. Exactly. I quit at the seventeenth. That's why I'm not out there. Seth, I quit at the seventeenth hole. My toes were hurting. I had to switch shoes. Everything. <laughs> But they listen, said, like, Randall in golf as well. The old Eagles Nest Country Club. Come on, man. Yes. I heard you sold it, Ron. Yeah, I, I got seven other ones now, Randall. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thanks, for, thanks for allowing me to be in the partnership. <laughs> I, tell you what, I tell you what, you know, this this is this is an hour show. We're at an hour and 37 minutes. That's you know, <laughs> you just don't get that. You know, anyway. Yeah, most most of the time, guys. Are like, hey, man, I gotta go. I'm out of here, man. But I appreciate you guys being a part of my show today. You guys are welcome here anytime you want to come back and talk. We can do this again, and Philadelphia will love it all over again. Yeah, I, take some questions. Yeah, I, yeah, I, let's I, do it again. Seth, I owe you here. Absolutely, but I appreciate you guys. Philadelphia appreciates you guys, and. um Thank you for your time. I know it's valuable. It's the most most valuable commodity that we all have. Um, as we as we go, I want to thank my my producer and my director behind the scenes, Tom Schrader and um, and Derek Stevenson. Tune in next week. Uh, we've got another great show for you coming up next week. You have been watching the Seth Jordan Show. We like to have you guys. We we, we love having you guys on. Peace, Philip. We love you. See you next week.